fuck yeah i really like that hello and welcome to another socially distant episode of grape culture the podcast where three women drink alcohol and talk about things and stuff i'm sam i'm kim and i'm alex (laughs) and welcome to the episode On this week's episode, we're going to be talking about the Netflix show Disclosure, which is a documentary all about the representations of trans people in film and TV across the last hundred years or so. But before we get into that, we have to talk about the wine that we've got this week. So who wants to kick off? What you got? What you drinking? Where you at? I'll start because I have a little story, as I always do. I had had in mind for a long time that I really wanted to feature much like we have featured in the past female winemakers, I wanted to feature a transgender winemaker, but unfortunately I couldn't get the wine that I wanted to get in the UK. Um, I I don't know whether that is because of the current circumstances around coronavirus or whether it's just not available anyway. But I did want to briefly mention the wines that I'd, I'd looked at and the reason she makes the wines that she makes. There is a uh, woman called Simona Meyer in Germany she is featured on clinkdifferent.com, which is a page that champions diverse winemakers and I think a lot of uh, female winemakers. This is their little bio that they write about her, which is Simona Meyer is an accomplished young transgender winemaker in the Baden region, just finishing her term as a local wine princess. Her father worked in grape production and her childhood was rich with memories of being in the vineyards. She began a wine growing apprenticeship directly after graduating high school. Prior to transitioning, Simona won a national competition for best agrarian, receiving a diploma from Angela Merkel. She works part-time as a winemaker for a wine estate and spends the rest of her time building up her own wine estate near Heidelberg in the Baden region. She produces two sparkling wines called Rosalieba and Buntelieber, which mean pink love and colourful love. And I did a little bit, I know. And um, the the labels are amazing. The colourful love is like a unicorn with a a rainbow mane. It's epic. And I read a little bit more. I read on her uh, website and um, some interviews about why she chose to make Prosecco, uh, sparkling wines. And she said that before she transitioned, she felt like a sparkling wine without bubbles. And that that was why she, one of the reasons why, like that inspired her after her transition. So that's when she started making these two, these two wines. So I really wanted to get hold of those. Unfortunately, I didn't. I did send her a message on through her website, um, which I haven't had any response back from yet. So I'm hoping that we might be able to try it on a future episode. Um, and if we do, I'll, I'll be sure to let you guys know. Sweet. Sounds good. With that in mind, I chose the Definition Shiraz from Majestic Wine Warehouse. Uh, The reason being, I really, I've wanted to try these wines for a while. The Definition Wines is like a Majestic Wine sort of house brand. They feature sort of a definition of the type of wine that it is on the label. And it's a very sort of clean and simple label. And I liked that, you know, we were approaching this, this documentary as there, there are, there is a lot of defining and definition of terms that the cis people maybe aren't aware of including the term disclosure, I've got the definition Shiraz, which is described as flavours of black currant, dark chocolate and black cherry. That's about it, really. I don't nice. think it's vegan. It doesn't specify. Sorry. Fair enough. <laughs> what about you guys? How very dare you? Yeah, so uh, I have a Riesling today uh, from the same winemaker that I had on the last show, the Circus of Books one, which is Charles Smith, um, who is based in Washington, I believe, somewhere in America. But the reason I got the reason I got this is that I saw the name. Uh, it's made in conjunction with another winemaker, this one. And it's 
down as being made by Charles and Charles. And I was like, oh, hooray, a queer couple is a winemaker. No, it's just two blokes called Charles. So, <laughs> which was my initial thought. But yeah, I liked the Charles Smith from last time. I wanted another wine that I would enjoy. So that's why I picked it. And the tasting notes, there are no tasting notes on the bottle. But the website I got it from says... No, I've closed the tab. I don't know what it says. <laughs> <laughs> we'll never know. I think you should decide what no, they no. are and then we can look it up later and we can see whether you are right. <laughs> right. I like that yeah, plan. See if I can... Oh, it's only 11.5% as well. Oh, oh what? Lame. Anyway, mine's 14%. Yeah, that's... Suck on that. Oh, mine's 13. Well, fuck you all. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Alex, what have you got? <laughs> Um, so I have gone for the Coutes de Provence rosé, which is part of the best Morrison's range, which is essentially the kind of like taste the difference range that Morrison's do. I picked it because obviously uh, the documentary talks about Paris is burning. Obviously, it's not set in Paris, but you know, Paris. So I thought, oh, a French wine. Um, also, the bottle is very womanly kind of shaped and the documentary talks quite a lot about like especially trans women being kind of overly sexualized and we'll go into that later but I thought the bottle very much was kind of a very seductive womanly shape so that's why I chose this wine the tasting notes are on the nose fresh tropical intense fruit palate full round and crisp good length on the finish hey title of your sex tape clink cheers oh you don't like it it's very i mean it is a riesling but it is very sweet how's yours it's pretty good i mean it's a shiraz it's a shiraz that costs more than four pounds and therefore it's pretty much a good shiraz (laughs) it's a little bit heartburn inducing oh nice it's definitely smoky it's not a wine that i would normally drink in the summer but it's good it's classic no complaints what about you alex it's nice. It's not it is not as nice as the rose last week, which is a bit annoying because this was twice the price. But it's it's nice. It's very dry. So then, disclosure. Uh made by Sam Feeder and with Laverne Cox, who is famously from Orange is the New Black, as uh, a producer on it as well, and one of the, the key talking characters. It looks at representations of trans people in films and in TV and how that's changed from original like silent movies all the way up to uh, streaming services and shows now. But before we actually talk about what was discussed on the, on the show itself or on the film itself, I wondered what, what experience you guys had had of representations of trans people. If, if someone said to you, trans person in the media, what would you say? So... I used to really enjoy the L word, which is actually referenced within the documentary. And so I vaguely remember this character, Max, being a trans man. Obviously, we can speak about it a little bit later in terms of the negative representation of him, especially within the gay, lesbian community. Apart from, you know, like, again, negative representations that are more the butt of the joke. I really am struggling to think of of any representation, really. In terms of presentation of trans characters, I can think of a few key examples. 
one of them is mentioned in the, the documentary, which is Ace Ventura Pet Detective, which... Mm. Oh yeah, no, gosh! Much as I have, you know, like much like in the in the documentary, they say, you know, this is one of my favorite shows, my one of my favorite films at the time, and then realized that it was problematic. That is a very difficult thing to watch as an adult now. I think, yeah, Ma- massively. Um, I was so shocked yeah. that I didn't remember it as a child. And the thing is that you remember the phrase, but you don't remember what that means and how brutal it is i think aside from that um a couple of things spring to mind one is there is a episode of veronica mars in which the case of the week is spoilers uh that some kid tries to find his missing father even though he thinks that his father is dead and it turns out his his father has transitioned and it's not from my sort of cis point of view it's not terribly handled but it's not brilliantly handled it's not people are vomiting everywhere but it's also you know it does it challenges the notions of betrayal and owing someone an explanation and secrecy that that is talked about in the documentary that we watched and the last one is the one that i was surprised was not addressed in the documentary and i think i understand why but so in friends you have chandler's dad who is played by Kathleen Turner and has all the classic things, you know, it's it's made the butt of the joke, it's very much supposed to be a joke, but also it is a woman who is playing this role. But then I also understand that in the show, it's never made expressly clear whether they have transitioned and are now living full, or not even has have transitioned, but are living full-time as a woman, or whether it is only as on stage because it's kind of implied that he identifies as a man and as a gay man who is in a drag act that's one that i would unpick and i want to be respectful of that yeah and i think it's probably worth mentioning at this point that you know we are three cis women we are still in the process of learning which is why we watched this documentary and are continuing to learn outside of this about um the correct ways to refer to gender affirmation and uh, the use of pronouns and the presentation of gender. So if at any point we get things wrong, please pick us up on it. We are doing our best, but we've realised that we may make mistakes. Sam, what about you in terms of uh, transgender representation that you'd experienced before you watched Disclosure? How did how, Do you have any examples that we haven't touched on? Uh, yeah, so I was thinking about growing up and those representations that you see as as a child and as a young person because I think in the last few years my not only has the has society shifted in terms of um the way people are represented and the amount of representation that there is but uh, also my own awareness of it has changed recently so I felt it wasn't really fair to look at things within the last five years mm. um so the things I was thinking about were, um, yeah, Ace Ventura, like you said, that was the first one I thought of. Then Buffalo Bill, Silence of the Lambs, that very <laughs> problematic mm. um, representation of transness being some sign of, or being linked to uh, mental instability, which is a trope that they talk about in, in the... And in the serial killers. Like it's linked, it's linked to doing violence to other people, like call yeah. a spade a spade. That's that's what that, yeah, did, yeah. that did. And then Boys Don't Cry, the Hilary Swank film, was one that I've been aware of uh, for a long while because I remember reading about the Brandon Tina story years ago, actually. 
And it was one of the only representations I could think of of a trans man. And mm. again, this is something they talk about in the sh- in the show is that the split between trans men and trans women being depicted on screen is not even, despite the fact there are a roughly equal number within the community, just like yeah. uh, cis men and women. Today, I was watching Spaced uh, because it's on Netflix mm. and loved it. And I in that, Spaced. there was an episode uh, about, you'll probably remember it if anyone has seen it, Spaced is a late 90s um, British sitcom, which is a bit, it's um, created by the people who created Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. And in that, there's an episode about a character that Brian, the artist, used to work with and question mark be romantically involved with, uh, called Volva, <laughs> who Brian uses the pronoun she to refer to this person. But it's also mentioned that this person is a straight man. And the way that Tim, who's the main character, talks about it really, like, Oh, really proper gut punched me because he was saying, "Oh, so he's a tranny," and then, oh, and then God, Brian, and then yeah, right, and then Brian goes, mm, n- "Not really," and then Tim goes, "Oh, so a big fat tranny," and it was just like, "Oh, fucking hell, <gasps> you can't say that." Oh, and this is a show no. that I'd never even yeah. considered. I'd never had never entered my consciousness as as, as being as being problematic. problematic in that way. Yeah, yeah, and but then even even the shows that like we know are problematic, like Friends aside, there's there's a whole scene in the documentary where they include Sex in the City, which we all fucking know is problematic as shit. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, there's yeah. there's bi erasure, there's gay erasure, there's just just everything. But that scene, like watching it again, because it's been a few years since I've done a a set a full Sex in the City rewatch. And watching that scene again, I was like, every single time they said tranny, I wanted to turn it off. I wanted it's, to turn it off. It's now like hearing, and that's hearing the end well, yeah, it's and, that it, and that's for oh. us as that's for us as cis women, cis women. And yeah. like cis white women at that, and cis white women at that. Exactly, yeah. that's exactly what I was going to say. And like, you can only imagine how horrible it is. You know, for that to have been the most popular, you know, we're talking about Friends and Sex and the City, two of the most popular TV shows in the 2000s that everyone was talking about, that everyone talks about at least Sex and the City as being progressive and, uh, you know, at the time, I don't mean now, obviously now we're looking at it more critically, but at the time it was definitely treated as progressive and inclusive and look how great they are and look how they're frank they are and it's upholding feminist rights and stuff. And oh God, that was just like, And not only because they keep using that word and the attitude to the transgender women in question, but also there was an element of ignorance that there were characters that acted like they'd never heard the word tranny or transgender or transvestite ever, correct terms or not. I find it really hard to believe that ostensibly a 32-year-old woman in the 2000s had never heard the word tranny, transvestite or transgender in terms of cultural awareness that was so tone deaf at the time and now watching it again in that documentary i was dumbfounded and it's pervasive Mm. on you know on on the note of that what what did you think what did you think of the documentary do you think it did a good job of um examining 
the different portrayals of trans people do you think it was uh critical enough of the way it was done do you like because this is a this is a show that was um created over a course of i think it was three years using exclusively trans people in the talking head interview bits in between it was across a huge range of different types of film and different types of tv show do you think it did a good job of being representative of of the trans community yeah, do you yeah. mean uh, of being representative of the rep- being representative of the representations <laughs> i guess uh, fair enough um yeah i think so i had no kind of preconceptions about what this documentary was going to choose to focus on ahead of watching it aside from obviously the blurbs being about the trans community and the representation of the people within the community i think the talking heads point of views uh interviews were only actors though weren't they as far as i could tell no there were no. writers producers it was a it was a mix there were film critics there were um, so people that are, are linked to was... to the film and television in people that are linked to well. media it was definitely yeah. but it was it was about that like it and that made sense yeah no it did make sense i mean if if you wanted to maybe expand it you know you maybe talk to people that purely aren't in that world and have only seen this representation I mean, this is a debate in itself, but then you could argue that people that go into that industry have a level of kind of confidence and are driven in some way to kind of show representation as well. So, so it might have been interesting to have other but points I think of that, view that weren't linked to that industry. Yeah, but I think that that like I think that that was covered by the fact that they are talking about experiences that they had before they ever had a hope of being in that industry before they were in that industry like they were they are not talking about stuff that's happened in the last 20 years whilst they have been working in that industry they are talking about as children their experiences and now as actors their experiences yeah i just wanted to jump in because i read a, a thread i read a thread by by the filmmaker that addresses this exact point um yeah. which is this is not meant to be a comprehensive history of transness. This is a, I think they, they called it um, a starting point or a jumping off point, basically just just based around that. And they said that there's a lot more conversation and a lot more to do, but they only had an hour and 40 minutes in which to do it. So that's what they did. But yeah, yeah. like this is this is not a history of trans people and all trans experiences. No, no. Anyway. I was pleasantly surprised that it wasn't. I mean, that's not to say that I'm not going to sit down and watch a documentary about the history of trans representation and trans people and the community in itself. But yeah, totally get that it's merely a springboard. And I think the fact that talking previously about our own personal experiences and remembering uh, watching and consuming this media growing up and then suddenly looking back on it and being quite like appalled it was really interesting to revisit those moments alongside the people that are being interviewed. So yeah, so no, I as a as a documentary, I I really enjoyed watching it. I mm. I feel like I learned. I feel like I was able to reevaluate moments in my own life. So that's important. Sam, what about you? Uh, yeah, so I found it. I found it really interesting. It's it's a very similar style. There's a documentary from the mid nineties um, that I think is called Celluloid Closet, which is about representations of um, gay and lesbian people in 
When I say in the media, I mean in recorded, scripted entertainment media, basically. And it's a very similar style where it's it's this blend of clips from uh, shows and then interviews with, with people who these shows are meant to represent. So it was a nice pairing with that because it's another side of that community. Um, it's something, this is, again, this is not necessarily related to the topic, but just something that I would like to see is that in, in none of these discussions, there's by people and by erasure, that still hasn't been discussed at any point, but we're talking about trans people today. I also think it did, sort of like what you said, Alex, it didn't cover everything by any means, but it was a good introduction and it was a good... It was almost like a conversation starter rather than a comprehensive, in-depth critique of trans performance and presentation. But I've, I found it really interesting. I found it very moving, actually. At the end, I did do a little small cry. Yeah, I, I, I really liked it. Yeah, I shed a tear as well. Same. I also really liked it. Like, it's it's a documentary that uses Hollywood as a way in to talk about a wider social issue, which I think is incredibly smart. It is a documentary that uses familiar faces and and charismatic people in a way to appeal to people who might otherwise not seek out this kind of education, which I think is really smart. It is a documentary that does not shy away from naming naming the abuse. You know, they say it in the documentary, you have to name the abuse to overcome the abuse. Um, it names names and shames. It makes the argument it's very frank. But it also does it in a way that I don't personally consider alienating, which I also think is very smart. And I think that it is just an incredibly well-made and well-produced documentary that's target audience is not quote-unquote woke people who are already on the side the quote-unquote side of the people in the documentary it is it is meant to be something that could like it could be taught in schools it could be taught in, it could be shown in schools and taught in schools and be, be an incredibly valuable educational tool and it is a gift from the trans community that they don't owe us but i am appreciative of it's interesting because I was going to go to my next question, which was, who do you think this is for? Because <laughs> I read a couple of reviews of, of the documentary and one of them was basically saying, I, I'm paraphrasing here, but it was, it's a show for people who want to be welcomed into the rainbow fold, but don't know where to start. It's not for trans people, this show, I don't think. Like, it, that's not its primary purpose, to educate no. trans people. It's for mugs like that. No, us. it's for mugs yeah, like no, that. I- I, I do think it I do think it's for mugs like us, but I am aware that we talk about kind of um, social bubbles and social media bubbles and things like that. And you're only going to see things that are posted by people that you're either friends with or follow that are like minded. And so therefore, the people that should potentially have um education in front of them about different people and you know everything about people in this world that we live in that aren't just considered to be their view of norm I do think it is unlikely that those people that should be educated are not going to seek this out or find it really yeah I would like if I may, to share some of the comments made by Prem off of Laney Gossip in the review. Um, that is um, 
what exactly how the narrator starts in Rocky Horror. Like, I would like, if I may. If I may. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. Oh, I love so that. There you go. Look, I was raised on Rocky Horror. Um, I lost my virginity to Rocky Horror, and that's not even a fucking joke. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't... Did you actually? Oh, yes. I think that's why I have certain feelings about Tim Curry. Mm. Oh, no, everyone confused. has certain feelings about Tim Curry. <laughs> I yeah, if I, if I could share, because I do think, and I, I think this is one that I'd like to link to in the show notes, because I do think it, it articulates quite a lot of how I feel about it. But it, it touches on what we talked about here. So one of those is... Disclosure is mandatory viewing for anyone who is looking to educate themselves on trans issues and trans representation in the media. It should really be mandatory viewing for everyone, especially J.K. Rowling. Um, Miraculous. I did think think of her, actually, when I was watching this. I did think, I wonder if she'll watch this. Um, Miraculously, in under two hours, the film manages to cover issues of intersexuality, society's obsession with trans bodies and surgeries, sex work, the victim narrative, ballroom cultural appropriation, living in stealth, and like 400 other things. Do, 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 do. And then it goes. Disclosure is a phenomenal documentary, and I urge you to watch the film and share it with as many people as you know. The more we can educate people about what it means to be transgender, the more accepted it becomes, and the more trans children don't have to grow up relearning how to love themselves. The film ends on an important note. Trans representation is important, but it's a means to an end. What truly matters is material, actionable change that affects the lives of every trans person, not just those on screen. If that's the goal, then one step is education. And like those two things, I think, are really stuck with me in it that there's also the line one of the best parts of, about the documentary is the chain is educational and i think that that's exactly the essence that i got of the documentary like it was very much a this is step one this is background this is 101 this is transgender representation 101 like that's what that is and for someone like me who has an appreciation if not a knowledge for the issues that are being faced as in like i'm aware of them i feel strongly about them i want to do what's right but i don't know very much it was it was excellent but i also yeah but i you know i can only speak to my own experience but i also but i do think that it would be applicable to people that are in the experience of me like five ten years ago who didn't really know what they were talking about but had seen Laverne Cox on Orange is the New Black and went, oh, that's interesting, and then watched it. I think it's, I think it's brilliant. I, th- I thought it was brilliant. So we're going to take a short break now, go top up our glasses, maybe have a wee. But we'll be back after the break to talk some more about disclosure and also some more about wine. And we're back from maybe having a wee and also topping <laughs> up our glasses. <laughs> Definitely but having before- a wee. Let's be real here. We all have wheeze, aren't you glad for us? Uh, so on that note, on that <laughs> liquid note, should we pick up on the wine? How's everyone finding their wine? Kim's going to spit her. It's really, it's really tasty down my windpipe because you just <laughs> choke. <sighs> what can um, I say except you should be better? <laughs> I drinking. should be better. Um, my wine's delicious. Thank you for asking. Is it? You're is welcome. it Black Breeze or whatever it whatever it was dark, it's coffee and cherries i think black currant dark chocolate and black cherries black cherry definitely for sure not really sure about the rest of it um it's a bit smoky interestingly and i know that's not the point of the name of the wine but like it definitely feels like it has definition you know like it's it's quite like a strong strong wine 
I mean, I'm getting pleasant, pleasantly sozzled. There you go. <laughs> Clearly. Very good. Um, it's good. It's good. It's good. Good. Drinking it slowly. Drinking it nicely. It's all good. <laughs> drinking it nicely as opposed to through your anus. <laughs> Because that wouldn't be nice. No, no, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. I mean, is anyone lining up for a wine enema? No, God. No, No, exactly. That's what I thought. Well, (laughs) Alex, how's your wine? Um. Yeah. No, my wine is very tasty. Don't really have much to say about it. I don't think I'd run to Morrison's and purchase it again. But it's reasonably nice. You wouldn't, I wouldn't stock pay... up on it in a short shortage situation. No, in the current in the current pandemic, I wouldn't run out and grab this off the shelves. I would happily drink it by a pool, you know, on holiday or a, a summer wedding or a barbecue. It's very refreshing. Like... It's very nice. Alex's but, scenarios. Yeah. I also feel like those are your three <laughs> staple scenarios. Pool. Wedding, barbecue. So your wine's good, your wine's good. My, My wine's, wine's good. Right. I found the tasting notes. Would you like to hear them? Go on then. Oh, no, wait, wait. Tell us what you thought. Oh, yeah, but then you've read it now. But, like, tell us what oh, you I've, thought I, they were. It's very, it's got apple tones to it. It's quite, I don't know what the wine terms are, but it's quite thick. Like, you know, when wine's a bit syrupy and it kind of, like that, that kind of wine. That's not tasting notes. That's just me making noises. But yeah, that's what I would say. And then what they've actually said is this Riesling has a unique richness. Oh, richness. There you go. That's a good <laughs> that's a good word for it. Um, <laughs> with a touch more of the high tone key lime Moselle component. Key lime? Uh, maybe. That shines through to make for a more dynamic and complex profile. The aromatics have a dis- the aromatics have a distinct citrus zest, key lime, apricot, peach, and summer flowers. So this is a documentary about a marginalised community, the trans community. Very famously, do not have the same kind of representation. Haven't had the same kind of representation as other members of even the LGBTQ community, let alone community as a whole. Do you think there is a line between representation and exploitation? And if so, how do you think this documentary walked that line? I think the line between representation and exploitation is a really interesting one. And one that's probably discussed in boardrooms up and down the country and all over the world in terms of having that tick box, unfortunately, in regards to funding, but also in regards to their public persona and message. I think it's a very thin line, but also they do touch on it in the documentary about like Paris is Burning, which is an amazing, amazing documentary, but yet did not pay, I think, any of the people that were part of it or, or not yeah. very well. So Paris is Burning is a very famous, I think it's 1990, the documentary came out about the ballroom scene and the place uh, and, and drag and, and that element of drag specifically uh, in New York. Um, and it interviews a number of members of the ballroom scene, some of whom are out trans people, some of whom are not 
or were not at the time identifying as trans, others who aren't trans and were just in it for the drag. Um, at the time, it was heralded as this really groundbreaking thing and the filmmaker won loads of awards and um, it's been recognised in several ways. But since it was released, a lot of the people featured were not um, properly reimbursed. They did not receive anything like the level of accolades that the person who made it received. So, yeah, that's, that is a documentary that is an example of where's the line? Where is showing a an underground community, which the ballroom scene was for many, many people, and where, like, showing it in order to go, look, this is a, a way of life and a an art form that exists, and where is going, this is an art form that people aren't pouring any money into and I can profit off of. Yeah, I, I mean, like, touching on the a kind of boardroom kind of example, like I was saying before, so this isn't a person who is trans at all. This is just a friend who is black. And again, it happens so much in marginalized communities and people that have protected characteristics. She was working within her marketing job and uh, a camera crew were there to document moments within the organization as marketing to broadcast on the social media platforms and all that kind of thing. and. Apparently, the the camera crew came over to her, thrust a shirt at her, and then told her to come into the boardroom and sit at the table to imply that they had a broad representation of people on their board. She then, and what led me to, to like bring this up, is she then had an internal battle with herself. She thought, I could just stand up and say, this isn't okay. Or she also thought, if I, if I sit here, then someone, a black person in the community may think I am empowered to suddenly apply for certain jobs, do something that I feel that is not within my kind of reach. And so she had an internal battle of representation versus exploitation. And I think that's just a really interesting thing to think about that is touched on in this documentary, that sometimes it's not just monetary. It's also about, you know, all these trans women as well that are being put on the screen to be sex workers. And like, what are the stories that are important to tell? I think I know what you're saying. There is a question over, is it better to have a bad story than no story at all? I, it's one of those things where it's like you can, you, can, you can posit the argument that it's better to have people in whatever role. And I think that is the argument that people have held for a very long time. It's certainly an argument that I see represented in a lot of historical literature and films where it's like well yes I might be there because they're making fun of me but at least I'm there and at least someone can see me and I think that if we can learn anything from some of the actions that have been taken in the last couple of months around black lives and black representation is that that is not good that actually that token, that scrap 
that white Hollywood has thrown to trans actors in a, oh yeah, but at least people get to see you. It doesn't matter if you get murdered or if you're a joke has become and and not even has become has always been but his is now there's now an awareness that actually that is doing harm instead of good and that the good that it's supposedly doing is a marketing ploy by white cis people to make to make themselves feel okay with doing it and this is this is a i think this is an interesting point i mean we we could probably talk about this for a long while um but the, the the documentary um disclosure makes uh, sort of goes into these ideas of this um this representation as as tropes and as you will see trans characters quite often particularly in the past presented a certain way firstly as uh, a vehicle for humor then um as some sort of victim you know that the majority of trans or they i think they they quote the statistic in the documentary and i can't remember off the top of my head but the majority of trans people or trans storylines end tragically um you don't get many trans people represented in film or tv with a happy ending i think it's important that everybody sees storylines with trans actors where them being trans doesn't form the basis of their storyline A couple of quotes, actually, that I was going to talk about at the end, but are relevant right now, are one of the people that were being... Unfortunately, I I didn't actually write down who actually said them. I just put quotation marks and then the, the comment. But one person said, why is this the story that gets told? And I think that's really interesting and feeds into this kind of representation versus exploitation People feel that if they're just telling the stories of trans people on the screens, that they're ticking that box of representation, but yet they're choosing to tell the stories where they're a murderer or they're a pervert. Or a murder victim. Or a murder victim, exactly. Mm. And the reasoning behind them being murdered is because they are trans. Nothing else. Nothing else to do mm. with like relationships or anything other than that. Um, and also, though, a kind of not counter-argument, but as, as something that kind of verses that slightly is a quote that happened, which is something that is really true to my heart because it's something I try to do in my working life, is... Children can't be what they cannot see. I think this quote is a really interesting one because how will you ever know how to explore who you are personally without seeing it on the screen? And sometimes, yes, that can be that can manifest into negative things and it can make you question who you are, but you will never know that exists. And and I'm not saying that the representation has been right for the last however many years, and we spoke about Ace Ventura, we spoke about Friends and blah, blah, blah. But those people that are now being interviewed would only be able to like fully realize maybe who they are because of those. And that, that's where the, there is a weird line between representation and exploitation. I completely agree. I just wanted to um, highlight the fact that like when we say representation on screen, we're talking about like the world that we live in now. And obviously people have been able to identify the, the, the way that they feel for thousands of years. 
and that they feel different for thousands of years. And we're talking about specifically a terminology that is more common now in the last 50 years, I'd say. And while while I definitely think like that that is different, like the, 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 the way that we are able to define it now is different. And actually the accessibility of that definition is different and that that is really important. And that it shows evolution and progression in that identity claiming. I just wanted to make sure that we acknowledge on podcasts that we recognize that this is not something that has only appeared because of media representation like obviously I know that you both know this but I wanted to state it very plainly that like transgender identification pre-exists media as we know it and as they say in the documentary has always been there it just what we're talking about here is that media representation has taken over cultural understanding in a way that is more global is more pervasive than I think anything has ever existed before and actually finding the words for example the words transgender is directly related to transgender representation it does not mean that the actual feeling the actual existence of transgender people is only qualified by that it means that finding the words and finding the representation and articulation of that has been made more apparent, more crucial, more present by media. And therefore, as the media has a responsibility to accurately represent that. So we we talked a bit there about um, Paris is Burning, which um, as anyone who is a fan of RuPaul's Drag Race, which also has its own trans problems, RuPaul has made some comments that are not particularly trans inclusive. But regardless, I think, of those comments, it's undeniable that RuPaul's Drag Race has been a key touchstone for the last 10 years in the LGBTQ plus representation um, on screen. And to Paris is Burning is a reference a lot in that. Paris is Burning is a cultural phenomenon in its own right as well. And in that, there are various representations of gender, some of which are people who are openly trans, identify as such. Some some do not. Some later um, reveal that, oops, disclose, sorry, that they are trans. And I think it's interesting to talk about this intersection of trans and drag because the documentary itself a lot of the early uh, examples that it gives I'm thinking up until about the 1970s it shows a footage from 1901 I think was the earliest piece of footage I spotted up until um, present day a lot of the early representation doesn't seem to be it doesn't talk about transgender in the way that we talk about it now Everything seems to be much more based around clothing and the wearing of clothing not typically assigned to your gender. And for me, when I was watching certain bits, now again, I am a cis bisexual woman. I I have not experienced what it is to be a trans person. But watching that, I felt the documentary treated the idea of drag, the idea of um, cross-gender representation for entertainment and cross 
gender dressing for cross-gender dressing for personal enjoyment and sexual fetishization which is also another thing and also then trans it kind of put everything in together and there was no there was no dissection of that and we've talked already about how this is a very uh almost top level represent like discussion of the representations of transness and so you can see why different gender variations will be discussed in this but i just wonder what you guys thought about how it said about certain characters being representations of being trans and these are not characters that i would ever or roles that i would ever think of as being trans they Mm. were they were like cross they were cross-dressed for comedy or yeah and i i thought the same thing and it you know relates back to what we said at the top of the show about um kathleen turner and friends and in the back of my mind what i was thinking about was the early and i'm sure alex might have been thinking about this as well the early aspects of theater and shakespeare and cross-dressing actors um and the you know the the earliest representations of women in theater was cross-dressing and that you know at least in in western english theater that as we know it and um I definitely felt that that was a line that was blurred. And I have to say that because I'm not someone that watches Drag Race and I didn't feel qualified to make that judgment. Like it felt like something that I needed to understand more that was something that I personally needed to educate myself on more. It was a confusion, but I didn't feel like I didn't know whether it was a confusion of myself or a confusion of the documentary. I didn't feel well-placed to decide that. I felt like there was in this documentary confusion between a cross-dresser in terms of drag queens, as I understand them, again, not, non-entertainment medium that I am particularly well versed in transvestitism which um Sam has explained to me as around sexual fetishism again not something I'm aware of but my my point of reference for this is um Eddie Izzard for example and then transgender identification I didn't feel like there was definition of that between those three things but I am very aware that there was a def- there is a definition of these three things and more besides in the world. For me, even as someone who considers themselves aware that there is more to know, I didn't feel like this documentary addressed that differentiation. So um, I suppose my point is very small, but it just comes back to uh, this quote that I picked out, which was, children cannot be what they cannot see. And all the interviews, as much as they were horrified and upset, and these people that are being interviewed pinpointed these moments because they could then suddenly explore who they were. And Mm. they could go, okay, I don't think this is representing who I am as a human being. But then suddenly this man is dressed as a woman and actually maybe that speaks to me. And so therefore it comes back to exploitation versus, you know, representation. representation. 
But I do think there is something in the fact that all these people that are being interviewed have referenced these moments as both awful times and celebratory times. It's kind of like it's not a representation of identity, but a stepping stone to the representation of identity. That in seeing someone in cross-dress or drag, it's not necessarily that they see in that person a trans-identifying character, but that they see a stepping stone to an understanding of a trans-identifying character. So... We talked. We talked a bit there about drag. We talked a bit about Paris is Burning, and we there's a, an arc, not even an arc necessarily, but there's a um, sort of a delineation in the documentary of this is specifically trans women and and how they like not all of them by any means, but how a lot of them present themselves and where that comes from. So the person talking about it again, Alex, like you, I did not write down names, uh, but it talks about how. You have someone like the the Kardashians who are very hyper hyper feminized, big hips, tiny waist, big boobs, um, and how that is something that's um, stylized by uh, that is often stylized by queer men who have seen that representation of femininity within the ballroom scene and within drag, and those representations are born out of the old school Hollywood glamour. I'm doing all of this in air quotes um that you see in the sort of 40s and and 50s kim i think this is something that you wanted to discuss a bit bit more because it talks about it talks about the hypersexualization of trans people and how that sort of that body image feeds into it what i was picking up on was there was a section of the documentary in which they talk about uh there is more representation of trans women than trans men but they also talk about how the majority of trans representation in the media or exploitation is is comedic or disgust. And it got me thinking about the idea that the hypersexualization is like in a way to justify the representation, in a way to justify taking up that space in that presentation. It's that way to be like, I am acceptable to you as, an, as a sexual object because I'm not acceptable to you as gender difference to your cultural norm and how and that's that's sort of the impression that I got and uh, maybe an explanation which is you know very wrong obviously but an explanation of why that hypersexualization is the forefront of trans women media that is what makes it acceptable to a patriarchal society because if you can't understand something you sure as hell better be able to sexualize it for men's gratification and yeah 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 i know um Alex and Sam are both shaking their heads at me and and they're right to because it's, it's absolutely disgusting and the point that i the, the note that i made to this effect was we see more trans women but it's also as a comedic joke trans men slash wanting to wear men's clothes I appreciate that they are not the same thing. How they are presented in the media is very much the same as we've discussed. Trans men and wanting to wear men's clothes is okay because of course you would want to be a man. Whereas trans women and dressing in women's clothes as a man, quote unquote man, is a joke because being a woman is considered lesser and demeaning. The lack of real and authentic portrayals of either 
emphasizes that society and patriarchal hierarchy goes men at the top and then women and then trans men or women and then gender queer or gender non-conforming which this you know is is still completely misunderstood and that was something that i i felt really strongly and i i I do think that this documentary like addresses it but it wasn't their mission to do so but that was the thing that i I thought when they talked about the different representation of trans men versus trans women and the idea of the hypersexualization is that all of it, all of this gender identification and all of this media representation is still very much appealing to a patriarchal society. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. It's this idea of if you want to make something, if you want to make an idea palatable, you have to either lure people in with humour or make people feel safe with humour, or you have to fetishize fetishize it. God, that's hard to say now. Fetishize. But those, uh, both those things, the fetish and the humour, are based on what is sexy and or funny to white straight men. To straight men. There is an arc, it, again an arc, um, it's not It's not long enough to have an arc, it's just a thread of the, of the story about particularly trans people of colour and black trans people because black trans lives matter, as we fucking know. I think there's a stat in the documentary of, I think it was 90% of the people, the trans people murdered in hate crimes were people of, of colour in the US in a certain year. It's it's a huge number. And there's also a dialogue around the fetishization of um of black women and to be representative of both those communities to be trans and to be a woman and to be a woman of color is basically it's so controlled by the male gaze in order to find a space in which you can not only live but like not not only exist but work to live (laughs) yeah work to be who you are like that's so sad and awful it's awful I think there's so much more that we can go into with this and with with the representation of trans characters, with um, the storylines they are given with this hypersexualization or this this victim storyline that we're presented with. But we're a short podcast. We can only do so much. <laughs> and we'll but we are more always on future episodes. We yeah, this is this is not a topic that we're drawing a line under and saying, hey, we've done it. Because we haven't. There's more we want to come back to. But if there is more that you would like to hear us discuss, please get in touch with us. Our email address is grapeculturepodcast at gmail.com. So we've spoken a little bit about our favourite quotes in the topics we've been talking about. But did anyone have some favourite quotes that they want to put forward? I had a couple that I noted down. Again, I uh, one of them I did know who said it, one of them I did not. Um, and the first one was very early on in the documentary was from um, Susan Stryker, who is the trans historian and um, academic with the with the grey curly hair. Um, she oh, yeah, said, "I like her." Yeah, really insightful. Um, and she said, "Why is it that trans issues have become front and center in the culture wars?" And it's true. I think that transness is is a battleground that a lot of people just kind of default to because they're like, "These must be the." It almost feels like these must be the most marginalised members of society, so we have to go to them to to demonstrate something. And I thought that was uh, an interesting quote. 
it's always an interesting examination of what right what rises to the top of the conversation that you might end up having with your parents if if i might be yeah. really like yeah. blase about it but you that's know what really, i say that's a really good example though like, yeah mm-hmm. um but cream rises to the top so you know it's it's the cream it's the it's the important conversation that rises to the top of the cultural zeitgeist at the time at least i hope that is the way that's the way i try to look at it the way it should be and my second quote was it was based around um it was based around makeup and this idea of um outward presentation of gender one of the people interviewed said one woman's armor becomes another woman's um adornment mm-hmm. and this idea of makeup and hyper femininity not as a sign of weakness or a sign of humour, or a sign of derogation, or whatever. But as armour, I was like, fuck yeah, I really like that. Alex, did you have any thoughts or quotes you wanted to share? Um, Just one quote, which was from, and I can't remember his name, and I quoted him saying, I can't bring my blackness, queerness, and gayness into one space. I found it really interesting about how people like categorize and separate. You're a trans person, you're in this box. Oh, you're a black person, you're in this box. Whereas this person that was on the documentary was like, I represent, like, I identify as a black person, I identify as a queer person, I identify as a trans person. I don't think society has caught up with being able to like people can only there's... process people can only process one thing at a time like they can only exactly i think it's ridiculous that we're expected to only take up a little bit of space we should at be a time. yeah we should be able to take up as much space as we fucking well please agreed yeah i love that kim did you have anything I did. I had one quote. Again, much like you guys, I I didn't write down who wrote it. I have an idea, but I don't want to misattribute it because I think that it's inappropriate. We're bad at citing our sources, guys. Yeah, We really, really are. Um, My quote was, and it's a paraphrase because I didn't get the exact quote right, but it was that they were talking about one of the particular films and also, I think, kind of all the particular films that they were talking about of a particular era, which was that it was a feminist empower message packaged as a trans masculine experience, which was so Mm. validating. And Mm -hmm. I felt as both a cis woman as a, and as a feminist, I felt righteously called out by that and really appreciated it. You know, like I thought that that was such an important statement because I was already feeling that anger on their behalf. And then I was just kind of like, yeah, we as feminists have a tendency, I think, that we have an ability to make it about us, specifically as cis white feminists. Like white feminism is a thing and it's a thing that we try to address that we are part of and partake of and try to overcome because we try to be inclusive and we are you know we are working all the time behind the scenes to be more so and to be more intersectional and to recognize our inherent privilege as white women 
that quote I just felt was like galvanizing to a mission statement that I think that we have to be inclusive and to be intersectional. Yeah. And I, I, I have, you know, like I incorporated it as part of something to consider whilst I interact with media. So that brings us to the end of the show this week. There is a lot more that we could have talked about on this episode. I think we have many, many notes between us. Uh, we could have talked about um, trans exclusionary radical feminism, which is a very big topic at the moment. We could have talked about the importance of Black Trans Lives Matter as well, because that is a massive conversation going on around us. And this is not to say that we don't think those conversations are important. It's just we are limited on time and also sobriety because we've been drinking for three hours and we want to do these topics justice. But before we leave, we have to rate both the documentary, which again is Disclosure, and we have to rate the individual boozes that we've been drinking as well. So do you know what? I'm going to go first because I fucking can. Uh, so <laughs> the uh, booze I've been drinking this week, this, uh, well, I've got it down here somewhere. What was it? There we go. It was the Charles <laughs> and Charles Riesling 2017. Um, which cost me 18 quid. Oh, steep, steep for a personal bottle. Um, if we shared it, I would have felt a bit more justified, but I decided that I liked the winemaker. Um, I still, I did like the wine. It was not my favourite. It was, as most Rieslings are, it was very sweet. After the second glass, it became a bit like a bit of a chore. Uh, so for that reason, I'm going to give it a 2.5 because I did not particularly enjoy Ooh. it at the end. It's middle, it's bang in the middle. What about you, Kim? I've really enjoyed my definition, Shiraz. Uh, I've not finished the bottle. It's robust. The alcohol contact has clearly had an effect on me by the fact that I can't form sentences or say words properly. But that is not the reason I have not finished this bottle. I think that it was just quite heartburn-inducing. It's been really good. It's been a really good wine. It was ten ninety nine. Mm, okay. I would pay £7 for it. It didn't necessarily pair well or badly with the topic. I think I'm just going to give it a, a three and be done with it. Alexandra? It was fine. It was nine seventy five. I enjoyed it. Um... Yeah, I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give it a four. Wow, bold. And before we go, disclosure, um, what would we give it? I'm gonna go in and say I really I, I found this more moving and surprisingly more uplifting than I was anticipating actually, um considering again the final messages from the people involved. Um I would give it a four out of five. Mm. I was inclined to give it very highly as well. And I think that I was hesitating between four, 4.5, but I think, I think four is accurate. I think that if I temper my Shiraz induced positivity, (laughs) then um, I think four is a very accurate representation. Um, It's a really good, it's a really good documentary and everyone should watch it in my opinion. But it is if you are more well versed in this topic than most people, you might find it a bit simplistic. You might mm-hmm. have things to question. Yep. Doesn't mean you shouldn't watch it. 
just something to consider. Um, yeah, I'm going to give the documentary a 4.5 out of 5 grapes. Wow. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think... I, like I'm generous tonight yeah but like I massively learned from it and for me like honesty is massive and I feel like it was honest responses to true issues and I think that's what we're all about at Grape Culture good so successful episode all around at least you know for us hopefully the people listening will agree and if you do and you are listening on an apple device please head over and give us a rating out of five grapes because we'd love to know what you think and also maybe leave us a review if you want to get in touch with us on social media we're on instagram at grape culture podcast we're also on twitter at grape culture pod or you can head to our website which is www.grapeculturepodcast.co.uk and don't forget we will be back in two weeks time with a brand new episode it's going to be another really good one or at least we like to think so so please come back then and check us out thanks for listening bye, bye.